Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast with your host, Brad Johnson. Brad's the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, the largest independent insurance brokerage company in the U.S. He's also a regular contributor to Investment News, The Wall Street Journal, and other industry publications. Welcome to the Elite Advisor Blueprint, the podcast for world-class financial advisors. I'm Brad Johnson, VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, and it's my goal to distill the best ideas and advice from top thought leaders and apply it to the world of independent financial advising. Today, I'm talking with Bob Berg. For 30 years, Bob's been helping sales leaders and their teams more effectively communicate their value and grow their businesses in ways they never thought possible. His book, The Go-Giver, is a Wall Street Journal bestseller that has sold close to a million copies since its release. It was actually rated number 10 by Inc. Magazine as one of the most motivational books ever written and was also on HubSpot's 20 most highly rated sales books of all time. Bob has also been named one of the 30 most influential leaders by the American Management Association, as well as one of Inc.'s 100 great leadership speakers. I was fortunate enough to see Bob speak at our company's journey event in Indianapolis earlier this year, and I knew I just had to get him on the show to share his wisdom with all of you listeners. In our conversation, you'll discover why shifting your mindset from getting to giving isn't just the most fulfilling way to live life and do business, but it can also be the most profitable. Here are three of my big takeaways from this episode. Number one, the five principles covered in The Go-Giver, including what's actually going through a prospect's mind when making a purchase and why the most successful financial advisors are the ones who place their clients' interests ahead of their own. Number two, the major mistakes that financial advisors make that lose them clients left and right and how to ditch the elevator pitch, stop talking like a salesman, and get and keep a prospect's attention. And number three, how to use Bob's 10 feel-good questions to make a lasting impression with prospects at your next event, including the one key question that will set you apart from everyone else. Okay, before we dive into today's episode, as a special thank you to Blueprint listeners, Bob was kind enough to send us some copies of his best-selling book, The Go-Giver, and I'll be mailing them out until they're all gone. So here's what to do next if you'd like your free copy. Number one, all that I ask is that you leave an honest review out on iTunes for our show. To make it easy, there's a graphic right at the top of our show notes out at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash 66. Or if you happen to be listening in on a mobile player, most times simply just scroll down to the show notes. The link's right there. Once you've left a review, just drop us an email via brad at bradleyjohnson.com with your iTunes username and a mailing address, and we will drop you a copy in the mail as a thank you. It's that simple. Also, quick apology to our international listeners outside of the US who have been kind enough to leave reviews. Due to high shipping prices, we're unable to ship these internationally. So please support Bob and just go grab a copy at your local bookstore or out on Amazon. So that's it. As always, thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with Bob Berg. Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast. I have special guest Bob Berg here with us today. Welcome to the show, Bob. Thanks, Brad. Great to be with you. Well, um, it hasn't been that long since I was graced with your presence. You actually, uh, we, I had the opportunity to see you live out in Indianapolis at our journey event, and you absolutely crushed it there. So I thought, why not just continue <laughs> the value and have you a uh, guest on the show here? So thanks for, yeah. for joining here. That was a lot of fun. It's really, that was a terrific group of people. They made me feel very welcome. And I just, I, I love the mission of the company. Love what you guys are doing. 
Well, thank you. Well, so for those that aren't familiar, we're probably going to dive in pretty deep into your book, The Go-Giver, which I think if you're in business and you haven't heard of The Go-Giver by now, you've been hiding under a rock somewhere because I think I think it was first introduced to me years back, um, which is obviously a parable, and we'll dive into that today. But just out of the gates, obviously, you've done successful in business over your career, Bob. I'm just curious, how did The Go-Giver, the actual book project, come to be? It's a parable. It's not like one of those boring business books with all kinds of principles. It's told in story form. <laughs> how, how did that happen in the first place? Well, years ago, back in the 90s, actually, I came out with my first book called Endless Referrals, uh, the subtitle Network Your Everyday Contacts into Sales. And that was a traditional, uh, boring how-to book. And it was on how to really, how to cultivate relationships that would lead to people feeling good about you, knowing you, liking you, trusting you, wanting to do business with you, wanting to refer you to others. It was really my system for, for uh, endless referrals. And uh, over the years, I'd read a lot of business parables. I just always enjoyed them and, and mm-hmm. you know, found them a great way to, you know, quick read, a great way to learn. Uh, you can connect, as you know, through a story much better than with a how-to. And so I, I'd been thinking for a while that I'd love to take the basic premise of endless referrals, which was that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust, and mm-hmm. put that into a business parable. So the first thing I basically did was ask, okay, so what is the basic essence of a person, an entrepreneur or sales professional who's able to create those no like, and trust relationships both quickly and sustainably? And the answer is that they're always giving, giving value, always looking for ways to, to make other people's lives better, right? And so we came up with the title, The Go-Giver. But the best thing I did for this book was to uh, ask John David Mann to co-author it with me. John was the editor-in-chief of a magazine I used to write for. Back then, he wasn't as well-known as he is now. He's, he's the, the co-author and ghostwriter of choice for you know, mm-hmm. all the publishers and agents who have celebrities who really can't write but would have a great story to tell. And John is the, you know, but back then, few people knew about how brilliant a storyteller he was. Fortunately, I was one of the ones who, who knew. So I asked John, and when I say asked, I mean pleaded with John to be the uh, lead author and uh, storyteller of the book. And so we collaborated on it, and uh, you know, it's been a it, it's been a fun ride. Yeah, it's uh, well, I mean, now it's published in all kinds of different languages, and it's traveled all over the world. And I think that what's cool about it is the principles are timeless. And even in just the very beginning of the book, you tell a bit of the story of all of the different businesses it's impacted, all of the. I, high school teachers were basically teaching their students out of it. So for those that aren't familiar, can we do just kind of a high level overview of the five principles covered in the book and maybe, maybe throw in a story or two of your kind of your main protagonist and the journey he goes through as he uncovers that. Yeah. And it's basically about a young guy named Joe. He's a young, ambitious, aggressive, up and coming sales professional, a good guy, but he sort of has his his focus in the wrong place. He, he's very eye focused. It's all about Joe. It's about Joe meeting quota. It's about who owes Joe what and, and so forth. And what happens is he, he meets a, a main mentor by the name of Pindar and he kind of learns a, a very important lesson, which is really the premise of the story. And that is that shifting your focus, and this is really the key, shifting your focus from getting to giving. And when we say giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently 
providing exceptional value to others, understanding that doing so is not only a, a nice way, a pleasant way of conducting business, it's the most financially profitable way as well. And not for some, you know, woo-woo way out there reasons. It, it actually, when you think about it, it makes very logical, rational sense. When you're that person who can take the focus off of yourself and place it on others, making other people's lives better, people feel good about you. They want to get to know you. They come to like you and trust you and want to be part of your, your, your world, uh, part of your business. You know, it's sort of, I believe I said this at the, at the conference, and I say this a, a lot when I speak to sales organizations, that, that you know, nobody is going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet. Right. They're not going to buy from you because or invest in you or however you want to call it. They're not going to do this because you need the money. And they're not even going to do this because you're a really nice person. Right. They're going to buy from you. They're going to do business with you. They're going to invest with you because they believe they will be better off by doing so than by not doing so. And in the basically free market economy uh, in which we all operate. And when I say free market, I simply mean no one is forced to do business with anyone else, okay? Mm -hmm. So in this type of economy, that's the only reason why anyone should buy from you or from me or from anyone else because they believe they will be better off as a result of doing so. And what's great about this is it means that that salesperson, entrepreneur, advisor, whomever, who is able to place their their self-interest aside, not deny self-interest for human beings, we're self-interested right. creatures, okay? But to, to place that aside and, and really just place your focus on that other person with the, the entire goal, bringing them immense value, that's the person who thrives. You know, uh, Adam Grant, who, who wrote that he's a professor, a behavioral research psychologist, professor at uh, Wharton Business School, wrote a very, very popular book, bestseller called Give and Take. And he, he cited a study of Australian financial advisors who were the top producers, the top money earning financial advisors. And the question was, you know, what made them so special? What separated them from everyone else? And of course, there were certain points of financial acumen was important, but a lot of people with financial acumen advisors do well, but it's not a separator, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't distinguish you. They also worked hard. But again, many financial advisors work hard. No, what it was, was that these advisors placed the interest of their clients ahead of themselves. They placed the interest of their clients ahead of their company. And as a result, you know, that was the determining factor with everything else being equal and they became the, the highest producers. So, you know, there, again, there's nothing woo woo about this. This is very, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's very logical when you think about it. even though sales and business typically isn't logical, that is actually very logical. The reason why this works. Right. Can, so, Bob, do you mind running through the five laws just for those that aren't no, super familiar with the book? Not at all. The uh, five laws themselves are the laws of value, compensation, influence, authenticity, and receptivity. And the first one, the law of value, Brad, that is the foundational principle, right? It, and, and it simply says your true worth in the business sense, your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. Mm -hmm. 
Now, you, you first hear that, it's a little counterintuitive, right? Because you have more in value than I take in payment. I mean, that sounds all nicey-nice and everything, right. but it also sounds like a recipe for bankruptcy. So we have to understand the difference between price and value. Uh, price is a dollar figure. It's a dollar amount. It's it's finite. It is what it is. A financial advisor, regardless of whether they 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 are you know fee based or commission based or however you want to do it, there's going to be a fee that they charge. Obviously, that you know for for doing that. But what's the value that a financial advisor you know gives the uh, the client? Well, first they're helping them create and manage wealth. Uh, over the course of that person's investment lifetime, there's going to be a lot more money they receive back from it than what they've put in. They're helping that person to have the confidence and the peace of mind and the security of knowing that they have a nest egg and or they're going to be able to do things when they get older that they wouldn't be able to do without the knowledge uh, and wisdom and the help of this advisor. Uh, they maybe. Uh, building up money for to you know to to uh, assist a cause that they're they really like or to leave a legacy financially for their children whatever it is as a financial advisor by the very nature of what you do you're giving that client much more in value than what you're taking in payment so they feel great about it and of course you also make a very healthy profit mm-hmm. the challenge with this though is that you know that's just the intrinsic value you offer. Any other financial advisor can pretty much promise the same thing and in many ways be able to do it. So what separates you, know, you if you were not you, but the person listening or, or any financial advisor from everyone else? And because let's face it, if a, a prospective customer or client cannot distinguish between any two or more advisors, it's always going to come down to who has the lowest fee or commission or, or what have you. And unless your last name is, is Walmart, right. Or, or amazon.com trying to make low price or low fee or low commission, your unique selling proposition is not a good way to do business. It's not, it's not uh, productive. It's not profitable. It's certainly not sustainable. Uh, so what we need to do is be that additional value. We need to be that which distinguishes us from the other advisors. And I call this type of value extrinsic value, okay? Because it's mm-hmm. it's everything that is not just by the very nature of what the product or service is supposed to do or be. So how do you communicate that extrinsic or that additional value? Uh, well, the good news is there are hundreds of ways to do so, but they tend to come down to five what we call elements of value. And these elements of value are excellence, consistency, attention, empathy, and appreciation. And to the degree that we can communicate one or more, hopefully all five of these elements of value at every single touch point from that first moment we meet that person, whether it was uh, something inbound or outbound or a referral or whether it was, uh, and all the way through the relationship building process, through the follow up and follow through, through the actual presentation, through the um, referral process, to the degree that we communicate that those elements of value, that is the degree we separate ourselves from the competition and we take price or fee out of the picture. Bob, can you share one of my favorite examples you shared out at our event? 
speaking of number one, excellence was just your communication that you can train your staff to have. And you shared an awesome example from the Ritz Carlton. Can you share that? Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, excellence aside from being competence, excellence is also simply how you make people feel at every touch point. You know, Tom Peters in his his, uh, newest book, uh, The Excellence Dividend, had a great saying in there. He said, excellence is the next five minutes. In other words, in the next one minute, in other words, what are you doing right now that that's excellent? And I, you know, I see something like that as the way you from answering a phone to the way you put someone on hold to the way that you answer your emails to the way that you always make sure that the way you're communicating someone says that you value that person. And I I had brought up the example. If you go to a Ritz Carlton, uh, the, any of the guest contact employees, which at a Ritz Carlton is everyone, mm-hmm. but they'll, they will never greet you by saying, hi, hey, or how you doing? It's always good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon the time of day. When you ask them for help, aside from putting down what they're doing and, and assisting you, they also, when, when, when you thank them, they will never, ever say no problem. They won't even say you're welcome. They'll say, my pleasure. Now, the interesting thing about this is someone could say, well, but that's the Ritz Carlton. I mean, they've got that training and they've got the budget and they got this and they got that. Well, here's the thing. Any other hotel in the country, in the world, uh, from a, an international conglomerate to a uh, small mom and pop could do the same thing. Uh, Marriott, Hyatt, Weston, all fine, fine properties. And they do that sometimes. Super 8 Hotels could do it. Mm-hmm. Motel 6, where uh, Tom Bodette leaves the lights on for us, okay? Uh, they could do it. And you know who else could? Dave and Mary and their three staff members, team members at Dave and Mary's Stop and Stay Inn, right? They could do it too. Now, someone might say, well, Bob, wait a second, though. You know, Dave and Mary and their team of three could say, good morning, good afternoon, and my pleasure till the cows come home. They're not taking market share away from Ritz-Carlton. Of course they're not. But they will absolutely own their targeted demographic. And I'll just tell you, they will take market share from Motel 6 and possibly from Super 8. And the reason why is because they become that place that when you go there, they make you feel special. You know they welcome you. You know they, you know, they're going to remember your name and they're going to make sure you're treated like a, and so see, those are those things we can do. That means when someone comes into your office, it means everyone there who passes by them smiles at them, asks if they're comfortable. Would they like a cup of coffee or tea or water or what have you? But, you know, we make sure they feel, it means when you put someone on hold, you don't say hold. It means, may I put you on hold, please? And then you, you know, it's all those different things that we can do and we can systemize in order that it's consistent, which is the next element of value. So, well, I think that was the, the key thing there is at the Ritz Carlton, it happens every time, sometimes no exceptions, no excuses. So let's, let's go to, because I know our time here is short today and we've got way too much to cover in our time together. Let's go to gratitude, which is kind of number five or. Um, yeah, appreciation value. as uh-huh. you as you shared mm-hmm. w- what are some key things there obviously knowing our audience are independent financial advisors out there some uh-huh. ways you've seen advisors or maybe other businesses relate to a financial advisor show gratitude in their business and maybe 
what that's even led to over time for their business. Yeah. Well, you know, gratitude first is is basically a, um, a way of being. Okay, it's a way of seeing the world. We see the world with gratitude. We appreciate all those things. It yeah. Here, here's the thing, Brad. I say that gratitude is the trait which makes happiness possible. Why? Because you can have all the blessings in the world, and it doesn't have to be a yacht. It could be anything from being able to see, touch, taste, hear, smell, to be able to uh, you know to walk, to be able to drink a cup of coffee in the morning, to have a, a roof over your head, and to be able to and to work with people, and to be able to you know these are things for which to be very grateful. But here's the thing: if we're not grateful for them, it's the same as not having them. Yeah, and you can't possibly be happy. So what does that have to do with being an element of value? Well. People who are happy are attractive. And when I say attractive, I don't necessarily mean looks-wise. It, it mean, although everyone looks better and more attractive when they're happy, when they have a smile on their face. But what I mean is that you, people want to be around people who feel good, yeah. who are happy, who live in gratitude, right? And it's just a way now, but it's not enough just to, to feel that way. It's important to express, to communicate that gratitude. And that means saying thank you. It means saying thank you as often as you can possibly find ways to say thank you for anyone who does good things that benefit you and maybe even people who you'd like to have do good things that benefit you, thanking them in advance. It means that when you meet a, a person at a at a mixer or a charity event, it means you send them a, a personalized handwritten thank you note, okay, that says, you know, thank you. Hi, hi, Dave, or hi, Mary. Thank you. It was a pleasure meeting you. If I can ever refer business your way, I certainly will. Or uh, hi, Joanne, or hi, Tom. It was great meeting you at our kids' ball game last night. I thought your, your Sally and my Tommy were the two best out there, you know, with a smiling mm -hmm. face, smiley face. And to send it in a number 10 envelope, uh, handwritten, hand stamped and, and, and send that out. And, and that's gratitude. And, but it also says to that person, wow, you know, there's a person who's professional. There's a person who, who dots the I's and crosses the T's. That's a person who is probably very competent at what they do. Hmm. And so, you know, there's really all these, these things. And by the way, this also goes with the people who, who, who are on our teams. Okay. Um, thanking them, uh, you know, thanking them at the end of the day for having come in. Uh, I've done that for years and I'm not saying it to brag or anything, but I'm saying this is feedback I've received from people who've worked with me that they love the fact that I thank them every day for having come in. That means a lot to people. So when we do these things, when we, we express gratitude to anyone and everyone, wow, what a, what a difference it makes and makes us more attractive to others. Yeah. I think, I think what's so interesting about that here were my notes from you speaking out the event. Uh, whenever we can, we say thank you to people. Gratitude we feel is the gratitude we express. Mm. And I think what happens so often is it's felt. You know, you're like, wow, that was that waitress was awesome, or that waiter was awesome. But we don't actually take that extra step mm -hmm. to communicate it to them. And when you do, mm -hmm. it's the most amazing thing because nobody else does, and it just lights up their day and. Um, even in your book, uh, you never know how those little acts of kindness circle back around. Like one of the, one of the very opening pieces of your book, Joe, or not Joe, the, the main character, the mentor Pinter, talks yeah. about, he, he bumps into a random old guy on the street and he apologizes for, you know, running into him. 
And then that ends up being his future wife's dad, you know, that he runs into later that day. Okay. So here, so here's the thing that we, that you brought this up because mm-hmm. a lot of the stories in the book, even though it is a fictional story, these are things that happened. So now it didn't end up in a wedding. Okay. But my dad told me the story when I was a little kid. Okay. There are a couple of stories about my dad in there. Uh, that we told through Pindar and Joe, of course. Okay. But one of them was dad was on his way to pick up a date and he actually did, uh, you know, a guy did bump into him, an older guy. And the guy was very embarrassed because it was obviously his fault. And dad said, oh, sir, that's fine. Are you okay? And, you know, dad was that, that's dad, you know, that, that is how he was. And it turned out about an hour later, it, it, dad was over the person's house picking up his daughter. And the guy, when the uh, date introduced dad, uh, my dad, well, not my dad at the time, but my dad, yeah. who become my dad, she said to her dad, oh, daddy, I want you to, to meet, uh, you know, Mike Berg. This is my date. And the, and the man said, oh, that's the nice young man who I bumped into. And he was so grateful to my dad. Well, you know, that's just, that's a true story. Those things. So that happen. story was actually your dad's story. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he didn't and end up that, marrying that was person. That, it was not your mom though. No, no, that dad. part wasn't. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Well, tell me some more stories about your dad. Well, okay. So there was, there was one, remember when, when Pindar and Joe were talking and remember we had a subplot about, uh, Joe and Sue, his wife, Mm -hmm. and they had a real kind of 50, 50 relationship. And it was always uh, who owes who what, and you know, I did this. Now you do that. And they Mm -hmm. they were kind of, you know, they loved each other, but they were having a little bit of a difficult time. And, and Joe said to Pindar, you know, how is it that you and and, and, uh, Mrs. Pindar have been married for, you know, 50 years and, and Pindar said, well, you know, Joe, when you really love someone you care about their, or actually he said, I care about her happiness more than I care about my own. And Joe said, well, wouldn't some people call that codependent? And Pindar said, yeah, they would, you know what I would call it. And Joe said, happy. And Pindar said, exactly. Now here's a story. This again was with my dad a little bit. And I put the part in there about codependent because You've got to figure when you write a book or you do a blog or something, there's always someone who, if you don't explain that, yeah. they're going to say, oh, so you're saying someone should take abuse. And of course, that's obviously wasn't what we were saying. But I, but this was based on when I was about 10 years old and a bunch of my friend's parents were getting divorced and, and my folks had a great marriage. Uh, they still do. And I said to my dad, you know, dad, why is it that so many of my friends' parents are getting divorced and you and mom have such a great marriage? And, you know, and he said, you know, Bob, he said, when you really love someone, you actually care more about their happiness than you do your own. Now, again, this is not in any way meant that, that, uh, you know, where it's a one-sided type of thing. Mm -hmm. It's where both people truly love each other. Or as my mom always said, when they truly like each other, both people are giving a hundred percent. It's not 50, 50. And that's why, uh, you know, the, the story, the lesson in the story, which, which Pindar brought back around to business is that, you know, great business, great relationships are not 50, 50. They're simply 100. And when you have both people giving 100, you actually create a bigger pie for everyone. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that was, you know, that was another, uh, dad story. And there were, you know, there were a number of stories that were based on, on, uh, things that actually happened, uh, you know, which was fun to kind of put in story. And that's, that's cool to hear. I'm <laughs> glad you shared that. So, so let's, let's take a segue. That's what I love about conversations like this is I just like to let them go where they go. So what I'm, hearing from my side is obviously your dad had a big influence and impact on you 
was he in business or, or obviously you've done well for yourself. What did your dad and kind of some of that mentorship and how he modeled love for your mom? How, how did that relate yeah. to you down the road? So he and my mom, you know, both grew up very poor and, uh, you know, depression area time, uh, you know, depression era time, mm-hmm. excuse me. And my dad was really Americana, the, you know, the slums and the, the tenement, you know, the tenement houses and the whole thing. It was right out of a Norman Rockwell, you know, kind of, kind of thing. But, but they, they were entrepreneurs and, uh, mom kind of ran the business for dad. He, he ended up having a, and the only way I can really describe this is a gymnasium school for kids that was based on building self-confidence through physical activity, such as sports and self-defense. Hmm. Uh, when he got out of world war II, he ran the, uh, fifth street, uh, fight gym for Angelo and Chris Dundee, uh, in, uh, Miami beach. And this was, this was, um, uh, Dundee, Angelo Dundee would eventually train Muhammad Ali, Sugar Ray Leonard, and a whole bunch. Wow. But back then, this was back in the, the 50s, right after the war. And um, the gym was just really starting out. And it was, it was still big. It was, the, you know, the, it was kind of the Miami gym. But, and so when dad came back up north, you know, I'm from Massachusetts, the, the greater Boston area. Dad opened up a, like a one-room place where he taught boxing. Hmm. And uh, it expanded. To where he was teaching kids uh, self-defense, sports, Uh, but he also would, the the parents would work in with their children and then dad would also talk with them afterwards. And, you know, it's, it's, he ended up actually having a, a full page article in Time magazine written about him and uh, he never went to college. He just, Mm -hmm. he had a gift and he always had a gift with people. And so uh, he also worked very hard and I, and I, you know, it, it was not a, a sometime thing with him. I mean, I saw him get calls from, you know, families at two in the morning who are having a problem and he'd get up out of bed and he'd go over there. And, you know, so it was really something I grew up with, uh, learning how he worked with people. And so, yeah, I, I that was a, a good, uh, and you know, mom was wonderful. She was just more comfortable kind of behind the scenes. Dad was more the out in the public type of person as I am. Right. So only with him, it was more local. It was the Massachusetts area, but they used to have psychologists and psychiatrists sending kids and sending families to, uh, dad's gymnasium school. And, uh, so it was a, you know, it was a, it was a pretty big deal. Wow. So your dad was kind of the original go-giver. That's what it sounds like. You know, something, it's a great way to say it. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. It's, it's so cool to hear that. I know one of the things I've found with this podcast is we, we talk a lot about business, but we also talk a lot about what's the point of building a successful business if your, your wife and your kids don't know who you are. And mm. so a lot of it also segues into just building a business that actually serves your family. And, and so that's cool to hear um, that your dad really modeled that from the get-go for you. And a lot of those stories ended up translating into this book, which, Hey, guess what? It's sold a few copies over the years. So. Yeah. Yeah. A few. What would your dad think about this book when he heard some of those stories and, and how they were resonating with people? Well, you know, he knows, I always tell, tell stories about him there, you know, there was a, a story that, that, uh, about dad that got into my book, uh, adversaries into allies because mm-hmm. dad was the greatest when it came to people skills. And I, and I know you're a big fan of Dale Carnegie, how to win yeah. friends and influence people. And so, you know, the, so for dad, it real, I, you know, I'm not a big believer in a natural 
in a natural, you know, the natural salesperson or the natural yeah. leader. I, we may have an inclination to like someone be an athlete, have might have an in- inclination to be an athlete. They have good small motor and gross motor control. Mm-hmm. But if they're not in the batting cage every day and if they're not, they're, they're only going to get so far. OK, right. Uh, and it's the same with a leader. You know, you might have an inclination toward it, but unless you study it and you learn it and, and it's the same with, and, and with sales, it's typically, as you know, it's not the person with the gift of gab, who's a natural say it's the one who has a gift of listening yeah. who is, is more inclined to be, but it's still not natural. You, we need to learn these things, but I gotta tell you, he just had a natural way with people. His people skills were just him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always say the single greatest people skill is a highly developed and authentic interest in the other person. Yeah. And I modeled that, you know, uh, off of that. But one of my favorite stories, and this one actually got picked up over the internet and got in a couple other books uh, too, but there was a, a, a time, and remember now this is in the 60s, so the, the situation's a little bit different than it is, mm-hmm. you know, now the way. And I remember, and I was probably again about, I had to be, 11, 12 years old, maybe at the most. And we had had a, um, the, uh, we were having the uh, carpet redone. I remember we were in another part of the house while they were, you know, working and at lunch, you know, my, my folks bought pizza for the, the crew. And my dad went out there to, to, uh, uh, talk with the crew chief. And he was one of these kind of gruff, you know, kind of guys who was, you know, and I remember he said uh, something to, to my dad, and I was around the corner listening. They didn't know I was there. And the guy said, oh, I'll tell you, women will, this is an expensive job. Women will really spend your money, won't they? You know, again, this is back in the 60s, so I don't right. want anybody to, you know. And dad just, uh, he said, as I, he responded as I knew he would, he said, well, I'll tell you what, when they're the reason that you're successful, you want to do anything for them you possibly can. And that he didn't say it in the way putting the other guy down. He didn't say it judgmentally because that's not how my dad did it. But he was very, but uh, the that that wasn't the answer the person expected. And he yeah. kind of tried again. He said, "Well, yeah, but they'll really, you know, take that to where they can." I said, "Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, you know, it's my pleasure to do anything. Uh, she's just the best thing that ever happened." To me. Well, he still he tried one more time, you know, and and I'm almost laughing at this point because I know my dad's not going to give in and ever say anything that would in any way deify my mom. There's no way. And he said, something, yeah, but they're and my dad as well. You know, I'll tell you that, you know, it's all, well, finally the guy gave up. Right. And, and I, and I, 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 I remember just thinking to myself, you know, first of all, I, I wonder if this guy just like learned a lesson that, mm-hmm. you know, a real man doesn't down talk his wife. Okay. Yeah. A real man edifies and compliments and speaks highly of those he loves. Now, I doubt the guy learned that lesson, but maybe he wouldn't be so quick to say it, you know, again, but it taught me a lesson, of course, because as you know, as kids, we uh, embody what we see, (laughs) not not what we're told. And so, uh, but, you know, people tend to love that, that story, but that, that was dad, you know, that was my dad and and mom. He didn't preach it. He modeled it. He he might. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, just as a, as an aside, and I, I think it's a valuable lesson. And we're all humans; we all make mistakes and don't Absolutely. live up to our potential on you know, every day. But you think about just the people that you enjoy being around in the company of, or the couples that you enjoy being in the company of. They never break each other down; they build each other up. Isn't that you know? so true? And, and it's, I think, the other thing is when you talk negatively about people. If I talk negatively about a mutual friend we have with you, Bob, 
the next thing you wonder when you turn around is what's Brad say when I'm saying about me, right? (laughs) And so it just like a life lesson of obviously it translates to business, but it translates to everything is just do your best to never say anything negative about anybody. And it'll serve you really well. It really will. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right on. Well, that's cool to hear that story from your dad. All right. So once again, not a lot of time here. So I want to go a different direction here. Okay. You host a podcast. You've had a lot of very interesting people on, a lot of authors, thought leaders. Do you have any favorite stories or lessons from the podcast? I mean, I think you're over 100 episodes now mm-hmm. that just really stick out. I've got many of those by talking with interesting people like yourself over the years, but I always love to ask that when I know somebody's running their own podcast. Okay, so there's a, a woman by the name of Lisa Copeland. She is out of Austin. Mm-hmm. And Lisa, for years, she's now an author and a speaker, but for many years, she was the owner and general manager of the Alfa Romeo Fiat dealership in uh, Austin. And it was, I, I think, the, the biggest selling one in the, in the country year after year. How did this happen? Well, Lisa, who was successful in the mortgage business before that, she went into a car dealership uh, to buy a car. She had the check with her, didn't need financing, very expensive car she was buying. And the salesperson actually said to her that before he would take her out on a test drive, he wanted to have her husband here with her. Mm. Oh my goodness. She said, no, thank you. And she walked out and she said, she never wants another woman to have to go through that again. And she actually opened up a dealership. Okay. She was a salesperson. She knew how to sell, but she, but had not had experience in that business. Mm-hmm. The most successful Alfa Romeo and something. I don't know if it's here, but it's Alfa Romeo and something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, until again, she stopped doing that. But what she did is she made it so that she created an amazingly comfortable ex- buying experience for men and women. Everyone was treated correctly. Mm-hmm. And I love those stories where someone takes something ridiculous mm-hmm. that happened, okay, and says, you know what? I just don't want other people to have to go through that. And they bring value to the marketplace and they make a ton of money from it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's free enterprise, that's free market capitalism. You well, solve a-, a problem in the marketplace. You find a way to bring value either where it wasn't before or you improve upon it. Well, there, there's you, a lot there, Bob, in financial services. A lot of financial advisors make the mistake. You know, there's a husband and wife sitting there side by side right in front of them across the desk. And they're sitting there the whole time, 90, uh, 95% of the time, just talking to the husband because, you know, in the traditional sense of old families, it was always the male that made the money decisions. And they don't realize it, but they're losing potential clients left and right. So it, it's, it's a good lesson in the car business. It's a good lesson in financial services or really any business that treat everyone equally. Treat every, exactly. Yeah. Uh, just, I mean, just as a quick aside, I mean, I've seen a few examples of that in financial services. Um, a lot of our offices do an agenda for the meeting, print two copies and slide them to both, you know, the husband and the wife. So they know they're equally valued. Ask a question and start with the wife and then get the husband's feedback and then vice versa. Because guess what? 
my wife and I don't agree on every aspect of every decision we make. So guess what? Sometimes there's two sides to that. And exactly. our very best advisors are almost like therapists and marriage counselors finding a middle ground. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's cool you shared that story. I want to go to, you shared some amazing stuff out in Indianapolis about questions when it comes to connecting with people. And showing up differently versus the, hey, what do you do for a living? So can you share some of those? Because I, I know a lot of advisors out there can benefit from that. Well, you know, it was it was when you meet someone for the first time at, at an event. And it, again, it could be your kid's ball game. It could be the uh, a, a charity event. It could be the Chamber of Commerce uh, business exchange function. The people, oh, that doesn't work. No, it doesn't because most people do it in such a way that it's not going to work, right? Mm-hmm. People walk around, they glad hand, backhand, slap hand, shake hand, stick business cards into people's faces and basically say, give me a call, I'll cut you a dick, right? You know, I mean, that's yep. not what they do, but it's it's pretty close. It's, <laughs> it kind of comes across that way when you meet someone, hand a business card and kind of hit them up for business or, and really, and what we need to do again is shift our focus, move from that I focus to that other focus. And so when we do ask that person what they do and they tell us, and, and again, we'll get use the same example that, that we use at the event. Uh, he says his name is Gary and he sells copying machines to uh, businesses. And he asks us what we do. And what I'm going to suggest you don't do is give him, and actually what he does is he probably gives you a big elevator speech, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's what everybody's taught to do. Well, we sell high-end copying machines to companies that need to modernize their current and we help them a little bit, little bit, little bit, right? That's just what people are taught. So listen respectfully, of course. But when they ask what you do, don't even a, a great benefit statement like, well, we help people create and manage wealth or we don't even do that. Not, not right now. Just say, you know, I'm a financial advisor with Oceanside Investments, whatever you want to say, you know, just very, you're not avoiding it. But here's the thing right now, at this point, when they first meet you, they're interest in you and in what you do can really be summarized in three words, okay? They don't care. So if you come up with that big elevator speech and the whole thing, uh, you know, it's just, it's a turnoff. You're like everybody else. And again, they're looking at who they're going to talk to for the next conversation. Instead, focus on that person. And I have what I call feel-good questions to ask. So these are not prospecty questions. They're not intrusive. They're not invasive. They simply make this person feel genuinely good about themselves, about the situation, and about you. Okay. And so, for example, he again, Gary sells copying machines. And so you might say, uh, Gary, uh, how did you get started selling copying machines? Or a little bit more elegant would be to say, Gary, how did you get started as an office products professional. And this is a question that, you know, it's not a slick question. It's not a clever question. It's pretty mundane actually, but people love to answer that question. Mm -hmm. Uh, I call it the movie of the week question, right? Because you're making this person the star. Mm -hmm. And this is not something that generally happens with this person. How many people ask him to tell his story about how he got started, right? In the fascinating career of selling copying machines. His own family has never asked him that question, most likely. And here's you, who he's met for the first time, who rather than all of a sudden talking about what you do, no, you're simply asking him to tell you his story. The next question is sort of a follow-up to that, which is, what do you enjoy most 
about what you do. And I might come across more like, wow, you must have had some fascinating stories over the years. What do you enjoy most about your work? Or what do you enjoy most about what you do? Again, it's a feel-good question. It elicits a feel-good response. Uh, you know, it kind of flies in the face of so much sales teaching where we're taught to immediately find their pain, right? you know, mm-hmm. reach out their heart and tear it out. So, well, there's a time and place, obviously, where when we're sitting down to, to, to share with them, uh, you know, to do uh, the presentation, we may have to help uh, communicate tactfully how we're going to solve their financial pains or, or what have you. That, that's a different thing. But right now, when you first meet that person, now is not the time to find their pain. It's the time to find their joy and have them associate that joy with you. Now, once you've asked a couple of those questions, now it's time to ask what I call the one key question that will separate you from everyone else. Uh, this is, again, not one of the feel-good questions. I have 10 of those questions in my arsenal. You'll never have time to ask all 10. In fact, even if you do have time, don't, okay? Because just a couple is all you want. But You, you have those on your website, right? Yeah. If, we if, can put that link in the show notes. So Yeah, Berg, B-U-R-G dot com slash 10Q for 10 questions, awesome. one zero Q. Yeah. We'll put uh, that in the show notes for everyone. Yeah, and, um, but only ask two or three of them at the most. Otherwise, you will come across like an investigative reporter. Uh, no, <laughs> you, know, you don't want to do that. But so once you've asked a couple of those questions, now it's time to ask that one key question, and this will absolutely set you apart and establish value in that person's mind. And the question sounds like this, Gary, how can I know if someone I'm speaking with is a good prospective client for you? Okay. Or uh, Mary, who's a chiropractor, Mary, how can I know if someone I'm speaking with is a good uh, prospective patient for you? Or, you know, Dave, how can I know if someone I'm speaking with uh, would be a good customer for you? However you want to to say it. Now, and by the way, if it's someone who's not in sales per se, we're all in sales kind of, but you know, you know what I mean? It's it's yeah. not something where that would be uh, maybe that's it's the CEO or someone in accounts receivable or someone who's not in any business. The question might be, how can I know if someone I'm speaking with uh, would be a good connection for you? or would be someone you'd like to meet. But let's look at, let's go back to Gary for a second and see how this plays out, right? He sells copying machines. And you say, Gary, uh, a good way, by the way, to lead into that question is to say, you know, I always love connecting good people with other good people. Uh, How can I know if someone I'm speaking with would be a good client for you? Well, Gary, again, he's just amazed that you've asked this question. And he thinks about it for a moment. He says, well, I guess if you're ever in an office and you notice a copying machine and next to that copying machine is a waste paper basket and that waste paper basket is filled to the rim and just overflowing with crumpled up pieces of paper, that's a good sign that copying machine has been breaking down a lot lately and uh, that would be an excellent prospect for me. So Gary has just shown you, he's told you how to add significant value to his life. And right now, he in this five to seven minute conversation, Gary already sees you as someone who could play a significant role as part of his sphere of influence. Yeah, those were gold when you shared them. So thanks so much, Bob, for running back through those. And what's funny is it just circles right back around to the whole parable of the (laughs) go-giver, which is just giving first. And guess what? People that do that in life, it always comes back. Always, and yeah. especially if there's no expectation, right? And yeah, yeah, you know, and and that's where we have law five is the law of receptivity. 
And we've got to allow ourselves to receive because what we do when, when our focus is really on bringing immense value to the lives of others and serving many others with that value, right? The law of compensation says your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. So when we give value like this to others and do this intelligently, thoughtfully, authentically, and constantly, we've done what I call create a benevolent context for your success. And, you know, as you know, I also put a big um, uh, uh, focus on, you know, understanding, learning how to ask appropriately for referrals and introductions. And so we make it proactive. It's not just reactive. But as the business comes in, you've got to allow yourself to receive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the messages we get from the world around us are when it comes to prosperity and abundance and money, they're not mixed messages. They're negative messages. Mm-hmm. And if you look at so much of the, the news and the teachings and the different, you know, you think everybody who makes a lot of money did it on the backs of others or by being crooked or by doing that. It's a big world out there. There's people who do bad things, but you know, by and large for, and I'll say this for anyone who works in the free market aspect of our country. Okay. Which again, means no one's forced to buy. So no one's paid government for special rules and regulations that, you know what I'm saying? That I'm talking about for all of us who are out there, where no one's forced to buy from us, right? They, mm-hmm. they do it because they believe they'll be better off by doing so. The only way we can make a lot of money is to serve a lot of people with exceptional value. Mm-hmm. So it's important to realize, you know, it's not, are you a giver or a receiver? You're a giver and a receiver, but the focus is on the giving. And this is why we say that money is simply an echo of value. Yeah. So, so one quick question, then we'll let you run here. Um, so in the book, there's a Larry King story that you just from, or at least a comment from, from the mentor, uh, that he says, Hey, he had a conversation with Larry King and all of the most successful people that had come on his show were just real genuine givers, like good people. Is there any truth behind that story? Or was that just an add in line that, uh, no, that was actually me. Uh, speaking with with uh, Larry King at, in in the uh, green room of a uh, we were at one of the, we were both speaking at one of those the get motivated programs that yeah. used to, in the the nineties that uh, they used to put on and and it was and, and I said to him I, you know I just said to him you know Mr King you've interviewed so many people I said you know and I've always found in my life that the bigger people were the nicer they were you know, not always mm-hmm. we know it's not always but usually. And he said, you're absolutely right. He says, you know, you can get, what he said, and I think we said this in the book, he said to me, you can get to a certain level of success without that, but to really get to that, that extra, that huge level of success, you've got to have something extra, Hmm. you know? And usually he said, those people are the most gracious, humble people. That's, I, I had a feeling there might be a story behind that, when I read that in the book. So that's cool to hear. That was a real conversation, but you well, know, Oh, excuse yeah, me. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Bob. You know, I was going to say, and I, and I, I shared this, I think at the, at the event we did, but I think what really kind of set up for me understanding this was a couple of years after I got into sales, because, you know, when I first got into sales, I, I knew nothing about sales in terms of a, um, 
in terms of um, you know the formal sales training. And the company mm-hmm. where I first started, we'll say their training was negligible at, at best. <laughs> and when I say negligible, I mean non-existent. <laughs> so I was kind of out there on my own, and <laughs> I floundered for the first three months or so. I didn't know what I was doing. One day I go into a bookstore and I get a couple of sales books and uh, it showed me there's a system. I thought that was really cool, a how-to. And within a few weeks, my sales began to go through the roof. And you know, I studied sales and I studied personal development for a couple of years. I did really good, but not as I should have, not as, as much as I should have been. It was something holding me back. Something. And when I say something, I mean me, right? Because that's always the way it is. Yeah. And I remember coming back one day from a uh, uh, from a, a non-selling appointment. Uh, it wasn't non-selling by by intent. It was supposed to be a selling appointment. And I remember I, I must have looked really just you know ticked at myself or whatever. And there was an older guy there. He wasn't even in the sales department. I think he was in the engineering department. But he was one of these guys who who didn't say a lot, but whenever he did, you know, it was always profound. Mm-hmm. And I think he saw me as kind of as Joe in the story, mm-hmm. a guy who had a lot of potential, worked hard, but just was frustrated and, and whose focus was not in the right place. And he said to me, yeah, he, well, he, he asked, he said, can I, can I give you some advice? Uh, and I said, yeah, you know, please do. And he said, Berg, if you want to make a lot of money in sales, he said, don't have making money as your target. Your target, he said, is serving others. When you hit the target, you'll get a reward. Mm-hmm. And that reward will come in the form of money. But never forget, the money is simply the reward for hitting the target. It ain't the target itself. Your target is serving others. Hmm. And once I so that was my epiphany, because that's when I realized that salesmanship, great salesmanship is never about the salesperson. It's never even about the product or the service, as important as that is. It's about the other person. It's about how you're going to help them live a better life, how you're going to help them be healthier, wealthier happier, have more, whatever it is that they get from you, right? That's what it's about. It's about how they are going to benefit from your products and services and from your help. Once we understand that, now we're nine steps ahead of the game in a 10-step game. That's awesome. Well, Bob, I know we're You've got to get on to another interview. So (laughs) I don't want to hold you up. I want to respect your time. Thank you so much for, number one, you serving our clients, our advisors at the highest level out in Indianapolis. And then once again, just continuing that on to the show. This is going to help a lot of advisors out there. So thanks for sharing your wisdom and your time. Thank you for having me. Thank you. All right. Until next time, Bob. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Thanks for checking out the latest show. On to this week's featured reviews. This week's first review comes to us from user 2014BLT. Timely advice, five stars. I am a new financial advisor looking for good habits to form in my early years. One of my mentors highly recommended this podcast and I couldn't be more excited. Thank you for the amazing content so far. I really appreciate the review and I wish podcasts would have been a thing when I was first getting into financial services. It's amazing how you're now able to literally mentor 
virtually under just about anyone. I would say, though, the one practice that I've always taken full of advantage of is making sure I surround myself with people I aspire to be like and can learn from. So well done on making sure you have a mentor in your early years. From my experience, you can shave years from your learning curve simply by learning from those that have been there before and eliminating those same mistakes they've made along the way. Thanks so much for the kind words and the review and good luck on your journey as a financial advisor. The next review comes to us from user P-H-O-R-T-O-N-0919. Great job, five stars. I have been in the business for 10 years and this podcast has been a revelation. I've enjoyed the content, focus, and delivery of each show. Thanks for doing good work. And thanks for taking the time to share your thoughts. I, I love hearing that this podcast is not only bringing value to the new advisors out there, but also those of you that have been doing it for a decade or more. It's my goal to bring an eclectic mix of guests that are rock stars in their respective fields that we can all learn from regardless of whether we're brand new or, or a seasoned vet, um, all while trying to make it entertaining along the way, of course. So thanks so much for taking the time to leave a review and for listening in. Uh, more great guests and episodes on the way. The last featured review for this week comes to us from user MRSHIHTZU11. Great guests and insights, five stars. I just started listening to the Elite Advisor podcast. I subscribed right away. Brad interviews some really great guests and the content is valuable and provides some actionable insights. Thanks again for listening in and also for subscribing. And for those of you that may be new to the podcasting experience, make sure to subscribe if you want to be notified when each new show goes live and to make sure you never miss an episode, of course. Uh, typically on most podcasts, just scroll up, tap the subscribe button and you're all set from there. And I just love that this review also mentions not only the fact there's valuable content, but the fact there are actionable insights as well. That's one of my biggest goals for each episode is to give you ideas to implement immediately into your business. And it's why I highly recommend having a notebook close by while listening in. It's my practice as well during each interview to take extensive notes. In fact, many of the ideas shared by past guests have directly impacted my own business. Oftentimes, I joke that I'd be doing this podcast regardless of whether or not anyone was even listening to it, as the conversations I've had over the years have literally changed my business and life. Uh, it's been an incredible journey over the last three years that I've grown to love, so I'm glad it's helping many of you who've been listening in along the way. Well, that's it for this week. And for those of you that have interest in diving deeper or figuring out how you may be able to have our team help you implement many of the ideas shared on the show... My day job does still happen to be consulting financial advisors from all across the US on how to grow their business and design a practice that serves them versus them actually serving it. Yes, it's actually possible to grow your business and work less. It's a model we've replicated over and over in markets all over the country. So if you'd like to apply to see if it makes sense for us to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation on how to overcome what may be getting in your way, you can do that at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash apply. It takes about five minutes to fill out the application so we can understand what your business looks like, what challenges you may be facing, and how myself and my team may be able to help. Taking the first step is as simple as applying at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash apply. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening in and I will catch you on the next show. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint. For access to show notes, transcripts, and exclusive content from our show's guests, visit bradleyjohnson.com. And before you go, I've got a quick favor to ask. If you're liking the podcast, you can help support the show by leaving your rating and review on iTunes. Not only do we read every single comment, but this will help the show rank and get discovered by new listeners. It really does help. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode. The information and opinions contained herein are provided by third parties and have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Advisors Excel. The guest speaker is not affiliated with or sponsored by Advisors Excel for financial professional use only, not to be used with the general public or in a sales situation.